Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 28 of the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In Podcast. My name is Greg Anderson, and I am driving. <laughs> uh, talking while driving. Now, um, you will you will have evidence by the end of this podcast that I can do this safely. But, uh, again, folks, I am a professional. Do not try this at home or in your car. Um, so, anyway, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, my experiences working on the Promised Land television show back in 1997. And uh, still a little bit of a follow-up to episode 119, that being the 19th episode of the first season of Promised Land. That's how we uh, designated the numbering there. 119 of the Promised Land show. We were in St. George, Utah. We were on location, and uh, something happened that just makes me say that Regis Philbin owes me money. Now, what in the world am I talking about? <laughs> okay. Well, here's the deal. I'm working on the show, and I'm, I'm in St. George, you know, so when I'm not working on the show, there's not much to do. I'm not very adventurous when it comes to like you know the nightlife or whatever I'm uh, you know it's just a nice quiet town and I enjoyed that so uh, when I wasn't working you know go for a walk or maybe a brief drive or go see a movie or watch TV you know that's just kind of a boring little life that I had there uh, because I was I was there to work and I was there to work 12 hours a day. So when I wasn't working, I just didn't really have much of an agenda, right? Except for take it easy. But there was one particular day, and I believe it was a Monday morning, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, that I didn't work. I didn't work that day at all. And uh, the reason was that I was a designated stand in for Gerald McRaney on the show, and he was gone. He, was, he wasn't there that day. He had a day off. Now, that would happen from time to time. I realize, uh, you know, I can't expect to work every single day. But when I was in St. George, uh, well, I wasn't working. But then it wasn't as though, uh, well, I'll just stay home and, you know, do yard work or clean up the garage or, you know, stuff like that. I, I, I wasn't at home. <laughs> so, so I had nothing to do. Uh, an unpaid day off. Because, you know, they didn't pay me for not working. So, uh, unpaid day off out on location in St. George. And um, and so, uh, I figure, you know, I was sort of being held hostage by my situation. I was losing money. So, somebody owes me money, right? So, I'm just adopting the, <laughs> the pop cultural victim mentality here. Uh, somebody owes me because of what happened there. Well, uh, the reason that Gerald McRaney had a day off that particular day, though, was that he had gone to the Bahamas. The Bahamas! I mean, we're all in St. George, Utah, and granted, the weather's a little bit nicer than Salt Lake City at that time of year, but he went to the Bahamas? What's he doing there? Well, it turns out that uh, Regis and Kathy Lee, at the time, they were still working together, uh, they were doing a, a, a special, uh, maybe a week, week's worth of shows from some resort in the Bahamas. So, so Gerald McCraney went out there to be on their show, but it just so happened that their show was in the Bahamas that week, and so, so that's where he was. And I'm in a motel room in St. George with nothing to do. Well, I did watch the show. I have a recording of... Uh, of that particular appearance uh, that he made on the uh, Regis and uh, Kathy Lee show. 
So, you know, something to remind me all these years later of the fact that <laughs> I, you know, I lost money that day. I had nothing to do. I was trapped in a motel room in St. George. Well, no, I got out. I took a little walk and stuff. I suppose if I really wanted to, I could have gone to the set and just hung out and watched them film stuff, but I just didn't feel like doing that. In hindsight, I probably just should have done that. I probably could have had some fun, hang out with the, the camera guys and talk shop there, or, you know, do something a, a little outside my normal duties just as a volunteer. I probably would have had a blast. So there's a little advice to those of you who may be in a similar situation. If you ever happen to be out on location with a movie crew and you get an unexpected day off and, um, and you got nothing to do except hang out in your hotel room, don't hang out in your hotel room. Go to set. Go to set and just hang out. Go, you know, volunteer to help the grips or electricians or someone and, you know, do something a little bit different and fun and, and, and go spend time with the crew. And I'm sure even though you're not, uh, you know, working that day, they'll still give you free lunch. So, you know, just make yourself useful. All right. So uh, anyway, I, I figure let's just say Regis Philbin owes me money because of that particular thing. Actually, the reason that Gerald McCraney appeared on their show was uh, to do publicity for uh, not just Promised Land, but the big crossover episode with Promised Land and Touched by an Angel uh, sharing characters there, which was happening just about that same time. So as as a a means of promoting that show, Gerald McCraney went to be on this uh, Regis and Kathy Lee appearance. And so maybe it's not Regis that owes me money. Maybe it's CBS because they're the ones arranging these things to promote their show. Anyway, I figured someone owes me money because I sat in the motel room moping. All right. Well, anyway, so uh, moving on, I'm still talking about episode 119. So let's move on to episode 120 of Promised Land. This one is called Intolerance. And in this particular episode, we learn how to be kind to Jewish people. So, um, yeah, that's the the major overriding social issue that must be addressed. The thing is, um, well, (laughs) we we filmed this in St. George, Utah. And while St. George, Utah is a a fine place to be, and I'm sure they would be very welcoming to uh, people of all creeds, all religious persuasions, and and what what have you... um, it still just simply is not a, 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 a big town for, for uh, Jews. Not a lot of Jews in St. George. Um, certainly not a lot of Jews in Salt Lake City either, but more, you know, if, if you're going to do an episode that deals with Jewish issues, um, and I would recommend you just film that in Salt Lake City if your choice is between... Salt Lake City and uh, and St. George. So, um, yeah. But we were in St. George, and for some reason, that's when we decided to do this episode about Jewish <laughs> issues. And, well, the issue here was that, okay, the episode starts out, and, and Josh has a new girlfriend. He had a lot of girlfriends, you know, and it seemed like he was a very... Uh, you know, deeply committed to each of these girls that turns out, you know, they only on one episode. But in this one, he's, uh, he's deeply committed to a girl uh, named Rebecca. And uh, she's, she's Jewish. And there, there's some, they're, they're in a little uh, 
cafe, a little restaurant type thing that her apparently her family runs the place. So she's in there working and Josh is flirting with her and he's in there just, you know, hanging out with Dinah. And there's three boys at a table and they're they're all kind of, you know, just talking amongst themselves and and just being a little bit rowdy and and making fun of Rebecca. It turns out one of the guys uh, is like Rebecca's ex-boyfriend and um, and the other guys just have an issue about the fact that she's a Jew. So they start making fun of her and the ex-boyfriend sort of playing along and they start saying things like, oh, that she smells bad too. And just, you know, kind of this, I don't know, really, really Neanderthal <laughs> kind of... Uh, perspective when it comes to uh, racial issues, right? So, uh, as the episode goes on, the, the, the ex-boyfriend is uh, showing some signs of bitterness uh, and stuff, and so he goes to the local synagogue and he uh, vandalizes the place. He, you know, spray paints swastikas on the, uh, on the walls and also um, attacks... Well, when, when the rabbi who, who lives there uh, comes out and, hey, what are you doing? You know, that sort of a thing. Uh, this guy smashes a beer bottle over the rabbi's head. And so the rabbi is left there, you know, kind of half unconscious or fully unconscious or something. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, this is how the episode begins. Uh, it turns out there's a neighbor across the street from the synagogue and she's kind of looking out her window and she sees something but she quickly closes the curtains and doesn't want to get involved in this. Okay, so there's your setup. Uh, now, again, we're in St. George, Utah, so we didn't have a synagogue, a local synagogue we could go to. Even if they had uh, agreed to let us film at their synagogue and pretend to be vandalizing it, um, I don't think they could find a synagogue. So we found a house, just a house on a residential street that, that looked... It's kind of a boxy-shaped house. So it looked more like it could be uh, some other kind of building and not just a regular house. And so they put some, you know, Star of David and a few things on, on the outside so it could look like maybe it was a synagogue of some sort. Um, you know, and then we vandalized it. And so we, we shot the uh, vandalism scene at night. Uh, and then, like, the next day we went in there and shot sort of the aftermath scene and the Green family is helping to clean up the graffiti and, 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 and stuff like this. They're getting involved there and helping out as they can. Um, and apparently there were some neighbors that when they saw you know, they, they woke, I, I don't know they, if they knew what there was a film crew working over there that night, but uh, when they woke up the next morning and, you know, people driving past this house <laughs> The people were, were really quite uh, alarmed that uh, there was these, you know, swastikas and anti-Jewish things spray-painted on, on this building. Uh, not realizing, of course, that, uh, no, that's just all part of this thing we're doing as a, a movie crew. They had, uh, the, the art department, I guess, provided uh, spray paint that was more of a, uh, you know, temporary stuff that just, you could brush it off with with uh, water uh, 
so it didn't do any any permanent damage to the to the house and if we had i'm sure they would have just repainted the exterior of the house anyway that's what our art department does when we go work on locations if we have to alter anything at the location then they always have uh, uh, something in the budget to restore it back to its original condition so in that case we got it all cleaned up it was fine <laughs> so all right, that's uh, that's one thing about that. Now the other thing is when we did the the attack scene, when the kid goes over there to vandalize and he and he smashes a beer bottle over the head of the rabbi. Um, you've seen that sort of thing in movies before, uh, when someone smashes a piece of glass, and you've probably heard about well they have special kinds of fake glass that they use for that, and and, and that's true. Uh, some people call it sugar glass, and it's made out of some sort of sugar-like material that's then cooked in a certain way to make it uh, uh, not only look like glass, but also have many of the characteristics of glass, but also it's very brittle, very fragile, and when it breaks, it uh, it doesn't really have sharp edges or anything that's going to going to hurt you. So it breaks easily. And it, and it won't hurt you. Uh, and so that's what they use for these sorts of things in movies when they want to portray a broken glass like that. So, um, yeah, we had some of that. And, and, and see, there are prop houses in, uh, in Hollywood that specialize in, in all of these little things. So if you need a certain style of glass or a bottle that is going to be uh, broken in the scene... There are places that specialize in that, and you can just order up a whole case of them, and they pack them very carefully so that they can ship them out, maybe even overnight them to where the film crew is, and then they've got a whole bunch of these uh, glasses or bottles. Now, of course, uh, you're never quite sure how many you're going to need, so uh, usually the props department that, that orders these things, they... Uh, they go ahead and order a lot more than they need. So in the end, you might have some leftovers, and either the props guys will decide to keep those just in case uh, they'll need them again later, or maybe there'll be a reshoot of, of the scene, so they want to keep all the extra pieces. Or maybe if there aren't that many extra, maybe they'll just smash them, you know, <laughs> throw them away. Maybe stage some little thing during lunch where one of the props guys gets to smash a bottle over another guy's head and, you know... I don't know. But yeah, that's real real movie prop uh, methods. If you've heard something about this sugar glass or things like that. Yeah, they really do have that sort of thing. I'm not sure that anyone calls it sugar glass anymore. But uh, it, it has those characteristics. And yeah, so. That's the nice thing about uh, there are so many different places in Hollywood that specialize in these kinds of things. So if you need a specific kind of prop, uh, even though you're maybe working in Utah... Uh, you can still order these things and, uh, you know, with Federal Express and other kinds of overnight shipping, it's very easy to, uh, to get that stuff shipped out to your location. And, but it's nice to know that you don't have to find uh, some local merchant who has, you know, fake glass, that you can just contact these, these Hollywood companies directly and, and, and they know exactly what you need and they'll get it right to you. So that's not only when it comes to things like uh, 
you know, these these uh, these fake bottles and stuff, but uh, anything like uh, fake license plates. Uh, when when you're filming, you, you you know you're gonna have license plates on cars. In our case, we were almost always filming right there in Utah, but um, the Utah was was standing in for all kinds of different places around the country. So they would put license plates on the cars that were going to appear in in, a, in a, say an exterior scene. So that you know we're supposed to be in Colorado, so they get these all these fake Colorado license plates that they would order up, and so there are Hollywood prop houses that specialize in fake license plates, and so you can just order order up and say, well, I, I need you know twenty license plates matching pairs for North Dakota, you know, and they'll and they'll provide them for you with apparently uh, whatever. Uh, you know, would would look like authentic license plate numbers, but aren't actual license plate numbers. So you wouldn't get in trouble with anyone saying, "Hey, you, <laughs> you know, you've got my license plate on your car, and I didn't authorize you to put my license plate number on that car." I guess these prop houses they know what they're doing when they when they come up with fake license plate numbers. Now, the only uh, trick there, then, of course, is that if if you've got fake license plates on cars, you want to make sure that. Um, you're only using those for your actual filming and that when the filming is done you take all those off because if, you, if you're going to uh, drive around with fake license plates on your car you know that, that there, are, there are legal problems <laughs> there so but again any kind of specialized props like that um, a lot of places um, out of Hollywood that, that will uh, take care of those concerns for you and get, get you uh, Whatever, whatever you need. Okay, so well, uh, as far as the episode of Promised Land about the Jewish issues, uh, we did most of our filming actually. Uh, well, it's kind of split between um, St. George, Utah, and a town to the east of St. George called Hurricane. Now it's uh, spelled Hurricane, but it's pronounced Hurricane. That's how the locals pronounce that. So uh, we were out in Hurricane. And that's where we had sort of the exterior of the school, also the the house where Rebecca lived. Um, a lot of that stuff was was right there in Hurricane. And um, yeah, it was uh, the, the thing. The thing there was okay. The the house where where she lives. Okay, there's this scene where. Um, she invites Josh over for dinner with her family, and she's concerned that her father will not approve of her dating a, a non-Jew. So she tells her her dad. Uh, she tells Josh to to pretend he's Jewish. To just go ahead and tell uh, her father that he's Jewish. And Josh is uneasy about this. And eventually, he you know he decides he really can't go through with that. So right in the middle of dinner, he admits that he's not a Jew. And, uh, and and figures the, the date is a fiasco, but it's okay. They continue with their date, uh, having dinner with the family. And, and eventually the rest of the Green family comes over and they get to meet this other family. And they all get along pretty well, especially since the Green family has decided to be so helpful in uh, trying to figure out who attacked uh, the rabbi and helping to, to clean up the synagogue. Um, now, we're, we're filming at, a, at an actual house in Hurricane. 
uh, some privately owned house that, you know, they contacted the owner and made a deal so we could film in there. And uh, it was like a, it was like a Friday night. It was getting pretty late and it had been a long week. And one of our grips, one of the guys who works as a grip on the show, um, at one point in the evening, he, he kind of figured, well, they don't need me for a little while. And he just sort of went in one of the back rooms of this house and just sort of took a little nap. Well, <laughs> when he did that, the other grips, of course, realized that he had uh, disappeared and eventually somebody figured out where he was and he was out there napping in the back room. So they just got mad at him. And so, because they thought, hey, he's being lazy, you know. So, so they, they went ahead and, uh, and just left him there. In fact, when they were cleaning up all their gear at the end of the night, they were very quiet, and they made sure that they didn't wake him up, and they just left him there. Everyone uh, drove home, and, and I don't know if he had a if he had his own vehicle out there somewhere, so you know they didn't leave him completely stranded, or if he had to call someone when he finally woke up. But it was funny when he was telling the story. The, the guy who did fall asleep, and he felt badly about falling asleep, and you know. Of course, he, he didn't mean to make everyone mad at him. He just meant to get, you know, 40 winks. But it turns out he slept for, you know, a few hours. And uh, the family cat, uh, <laughs> like, went in the room and jumped on his chest or something while he was sleeping and just freaked him out. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning, and it was one of those things where uh, just, for a, just for a moment, he had no idea where he was, you know, just waking up in a strange place, all the lights completely out, and this cat just, just, you know, startling him awake. So that was, that was kind of a funny story. I suppose you had to be there, but, or maybe you had to know sort of the, uh, the dynamics of the grip department to understand how it was a funny story, <laughs> the, the particular individuals involved in that uh so anyway uh you know as far as the, the rest of the the story of the episode it's all pretty straightforward we just learned that uh, of course being a bigot is, is bad uh saying things about jews even in even in, in if you don't really mean it if you say something mean you know that's of course bad and and, and eventually uh even if you if you take these things lightly even if you didn't mean it to be so bad, uh, maybe a, a young guy like some Jewish girl's ex-boyfriend might uh, take it the wrong way and decide that it's okay to be mean to Jews. And, well, so anyway, there's, there's a, they kind of reconcile everything at the end, and, and, and it all works out. So that's, that's what happened there with uh, Promised Land episode 120 called Intolerance, which turns out at the end to be eh, more of a tolerance sort of a thing. Actually, there's one more story I wanted to tell uh, that happened while we were making the episode 120 of, uh, of Promised Land. Uh, we had a bit of a shakeup in our sound department. Now, in, in, in a certain way, this is really none of my business, so I, I, I kind of hate to bring it up, but... Uh, but it's just the, the, how strange it was that I, I just have a vivid memory of this. That uh, okay, we were we were filming near a um, kind of a little t a trailer park. Um, well, actually, we were in there because we had the, the 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 Green family had parked their Airstream trailer in this place. In real life, it was a little place. Um, 
I think it was called Huntington. I'm not sure. It's just to the north of St. George. Um, and um, it's, it's a place where a lot of uh, people go just to sort of spend the winter months if they live up north, but they like to kind of get away from the, the bad weather. So they might go down there and spend a few months. I actually had an aunt and an uncle that were, uh, were at this place uh, at the time we were filming. And, um, and so they had a little, uh, you know, it's just kind of a retired couple. So they had a little uh, kind of a trailer house there fixed up nice just a few rooms and uh and that's where they go and, and and you know spend time in, in during winter months um and then there were some other uh, people there that were more temporarily uh located you know with maybe maybe a fifth wheel trailer that sort of thing or, or something as large as the airstream trailer we were using for promised land people would go down there and live there so that's where we were and that's where we portrayed that the green family was hanging out while they were uh while they were in this particular town where this episode was supposed to take place. And um, so they had some scenes in the morning with uh, Josh and Rebecca, the characters, just kind of having a little time to themselves and flirting with each other, and he's going to kiss her, and, you know, there's kind of this nice little innocent stuff going on between the two of them. And then they didn't need me there first thing in the morning. They, They arranged for me to be there... I don't know, two or three hours after everyone else started working. So I caught a van from the motel, and I show up at this place. And uh, when I show up, there's just kind of this little bit of a creepy feeling when I show up. <laughs> I was like, what's going on? Something's wrong here, you know? And, and it turns out that uh, our sound department had, had split up <laughs> right there that particular morning. Uh, what now? Now on a movie set, um, the departments are, are are you know a few people in each department. You know the the camera department. You've got a director, of photography, camera operator, assistant, a loader, and maybe a couple other guys as well. So you got a you know good little core group of people in the uh, camera department. And if they've got a a second camera, a, a B camera, you know then there's again, two or three additional guys there. So the camera department, you know, a group of people. The hair and makeup department, you might have four people in that department. Um, The grips and electricians have a half dozen people in each of those departments, this sorts of thing. But the sound department on a lot of shows is just two guys. Just two guys. And it'd be the, the guy who actually runs the tape recorder. Well, these days they don't really have tape recorders, but back then we were recording the uh, dialogue on tape. And then the guy who holds the boom microphone pole. Um, that's it. Those are the only two guys on set. The boom operator, I guess you'd call him, and the other guy would be called the sound mixer. The sound mixer being the guy who's actually running the recording equipment. And so we had a couple of guys on our show that were the sound department. And they had been working together for years and years, for, for all we knew. Um, just whenever you'd go and work on a show around Utah, half the time, these these two guys were working together as the sound department. And I don't know what happened, because I wasn't there when it happened. And nobody really knew what happened, because it was just a little quarrel between these two guys. But they blew up at each other, and there was some foul language being exchanged. 
<laughs> it was sort of a Christian Bale uh, level of ranting. Um, yeah, well, it was not pretty. But I, again, I wasn't there yet. By the time I got there, the boom operator decided to quit. Decided he just couldn't work with this guy anymore. So the boom operator quit, and um, I guess they just recruited, you know, one of the production assistants, or I'm not sure what they did exactly to uh, to continue to record audio for the rest of the day. Because the guy there that ran the recording gear, the sound mixer, stayed. But, uh, yeah, this other guy quit. And, you know, I, I wondered if just needed a little bit of time to cool off and maybe this boom operator would come back. But, no, he never did. <laughs> he never did. So that was kind of sad. But it was one of those things where, again, these guys had known each other for so many years that for the majority of, of the guys on the crew, it's like, just let's just stay out of it. Because um, whatever whatever water under the bridge they got, it's uh, it, it runs deep and it's been there a long time. So eventually, yeah, we, we did get someone else hired on as the uh, boom operator continue, to continue with the with the series but um, yeah okay I don't know <laughs> it's kind of a no no real point to that story except these things sort of happen you know a lot of guys uh, well, they'll, they'll quit jobs um, and sometimes I've seen a couple of times when when it's been really really ugly somebody has quit and again they've, they've gone out with a bang they've decided to before they walk out the door they're going to dress somebody down like like Christian Bale would and uh, and yet maybe a year later I see those individuals working together again so on the one hand uh, it is true that people who work in the movie business are they're kind of like like babies <laughs> they're like little kids uh, in the sense of you know how little kids you know they get along they they're playing with each other and it's all everything's fine and then and then something happens and the kids like i hate you i never want to see you again and so you know then they're not friends anymore and then the next day they're playing together again and for some reason you know it's all okay uh, yeah people on movie crews are kind of like that childlike in in that regard uh, short-tempered but also you know give them some time to cool off and they'll come back and they'll be fine uh, but then again I've seen situations where uh, there's been a bad blow up and um, you know it's like a couple of bitterly divorced adults that they just want nothing to do with each other ever again so eh, it happens um, a lot, another thing just to keep in mind is that uh, as you get to know movie crew people you'll find that um, getting fired is not unheard of and if you happen to get fired from a movie crew it's no reason to panic people get fired all the time so you know you just you just regroup and go look for another job and uh and you'll usually be okay as long as you as long as you do good work you know you'll you'll be okay and and people are pretty pretty understanding about it that sometimes people get fired for just trivial things I remember uh, talking to a camera operator about how you know, he's working on a show and and the producers had a falling out with um, with maybe the director of photography. And so, um, you know, they, maybe they fired the director of photography. And 
when they hired on a new director of photography, the new director of photography wanted a whole different uh, crew in the camera department. So the whole camera department got fired uh, for no good reason. Now, you might say, well, they should, they should sue. You can't fire someone for no good reason. Well, you can, actually. And a lot of times the, the, the contract that you sign or whatever paperwork you sign to get the job in the movie business... A lot of times we'll just include a little phrase in there that says um, this is no guarantee of employment. You may be uh, terminated uh, for for a good reason or for no reason. <laughs> and so you have to sign that, that, that you agree to that before you start working for them so they may fire you and never be required to say why they did. That's just how it works in the movie business. You'll find that the movie business is actually... Um, you know, not not really a utopia, but it's still kind of fun. It's it's like you, you when you see Hollywood celebrities talking about politics. You know, they they they're they're well known to be very liberal in their uh, in their political leanings. You know, they don't discriminate. They're, they or they, at least they say that you know nobody should discriminate against anyone else for any reason, and. Uh, you know, nobody should be fired without cause, and you know these things that they say that they're you know they're politically aligned with those sorts of philosophies. But in the end, the movie business is probably the the least fair of any business she'll ever be in. I mean, they fire people because you know they, they fire an actress because she gained five pounds. You know, in, in any other line of work, that would be lawsuit city. But in the movie business. Yeah, you know, you were hired for your looks, and now you don't have that look, and so you're fired. And there's really no recourse for that. You know, the, the age discrimination, we did an episode about age discrimination on Promised Land, but in the movie business, really, you know, if you're a woman over age 40, you're going to have a hard time getting work as an actress. And that's just the way it is. Even though, philosophically, most people in Hollywood would say, oh, that's wrong. But... You know, they they hire somebody to play a role just because uh, they hire. You know, they pick somebody over another person, for example, just because of their skin color. You know, well, this character was written as a Hispanic character, so uh, we're going to hire the Hispanic actor. You know, that essentially happens all the time in Hollywood. So, for all the, um, you know, you, you, you get people talking about how they stand with political and social issues, and they'll say all the right things, but how they actually behave in in Hollywood, you know, may be completely different. So, I, you know, that's, that's just the way it is. Now, luckily, if you're working in a place where there's a lot of work to be done, you'll, you'll be able to get a job. It, it's okay. But just be prepared for it. And, and this is something, when it comes to the idea of getting fired, maybe sometimes you get fired for a good reason, and maybe sometimes it's no reason at all. I remember one time I was working on a show, and... Um, they had these big, powerful lights that they put on top of these cranes uh, so they could film some night work. So they needed a big, powerful light that would just sort of light up the whole front end of a house. And they put a guy up in the basket of this crane and lifted it, I don't know, 30 feet in the air, and he was up there with the uh, light. And so they had a person up there just so that if there was anything wrong with the light, he could troubleshoot it. Or if they needed to put any special kind of uh, diffusion filters or things like that over the light, he was right there ready to do it. 
Um, and in this one case, this particular person, it's just a, you know, Butterfingers sort of an accident. Anyone could have, could have had a mishap like that. But he dropped uh, a big glass Fresnel lens that usually would fit over the front of this light. And it was, it was big. It was probably two or three feet in diameter. This big. So, um, you know, he's getting ready to set the light for something. And, and uh, he just happened to drop this thing. So it dropped out of his basket. 30 feet down to the ground and just shattered. That was loud. And for those of us that were standing around, just not expecting that, it was very startling. And then, of course, you know, your first your first thought is, what was that? Your second thought is, is everybody okay? Did it, did it hit someone? Or And then your third thought is, whoever dropped that is in trouble. And in fact, so I did witness one time when this happened and the person who apparently dropped this this big glass lens thing uh, was fired on the spot. I think he was only there to work that one day. Anyway, he wasn't like a regular crew member. And so, on the one hand, you think, well, that doesn't seem fair. You know, it's just an honest mistake, just an accident. Uh, but it happened. Well, you know, and I suppose the guy probably showed up again some other time, and he was working, and it was just fine. But. Uh, you, when you talk to people who've had these experiences, who've been fired for either no good cause or for a, you know, somewhat plausible cause, um, they, people that have been around long enough, they take it in stride. They say, you know, you really don't have any confidence until you've been fired anyway and you've been able to come back and get work. So don't worry about it. You know, until you get fired, so what? Go get another job. And you can get another job in the movie business. It's not gonna. It's not gonna kill you. So, all right. Just some words of wisdom here. I've been rambling for a long time. So let's uh, let's call an end to this particular episode of the Memoirs of a Movie Stand and Podcast. Hope you join me next time. Uh, I put out new episodes on Thursday nights at eight seven central, and you can find the new episodes at utahstandin.blogspot.com. Utah Stand In. There's no other punctuation in there. It's Utah Stand In. Blogspot.com. That's where you'll find the official show notes of this podcast. You can also use that location to kind of help you to subscribe to the podcast directly from a link there. Or if you've got iTunes uh, specifically, you can just do a search in iTunes for uh, Memoirs of a Movie Stand In. And you'll find the podcast you can subscribe, and then new episodes will be delivered right to your computer as they are released. Uh, also, if you want to send me any email, um, my email address is moviestandin at gmail.com. That's moviestandin at gmail.com. And I'll see you next time on the Memoirs of a Movie Stand In podcast. <laughs>